Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. And this evening, I want to wrap up really a series that we've been in for the month of December. And it's been beautiful to see these different moments throughout the Christmas story and how God used people's responses. And I believe this Christmas could be maybe the most meaningful for some of us that we've ever had. It seems that God always does something like this. You know, when you go through dark and hard, difficult, challenging times like we have been through this year, it tends to make the people and the times that normally would be precious anyway just that much more. And so I hope and pray that happens for you this Christmas. And I really believe part of how that will happen and how that occurs for us is if we really lay hold of the secret, as I'm calling it, the secret of Christmas. And here's how I've been talking about the secret of Christmas the last few uh, weeks is that the secret of Christmas is all in our and all about our response. the, The idea is that when we fully and truly begin to understand the message of Christmas, We will want to respond to God with our whole lives based on what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's really interesting, over these last few weeks, we've looked at the response of Mary, this young, unwed, single, Jewish girl that had everything stacked against her, like there's no good reason why she would have said yes to God, but she did anyway, and God used her in such a magnificent way, we're still talking about her, right? And then the, 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 the shepherds who were not even welcome into the temple and God lets them be the first to proclaim the coming of his son. They responded in a beautiful way. And then this last week we looked at this prophecy through Simeon, this man who was waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come. And God spoke through him such powerful words that were true and echoed over and over throughout Jesus' life and ministry repeatedly. Beautiful. And tonight, I want us to take a look at a passage that really culminates all of that for us, brings it all together, and it answers this really important question for us on this Christmas Eve, and that's this. What does the nativity mean? What does the birth of Jesus really mean for us? And I feel like that's encapsulated in just a couple of really concise verses here in the gospel writer John, but it's not in John's gospel, it's actually in his first epistle or his first letter, it's in 1 John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 tonight. Let's take a look at that together as we answer this question, what does the nativity mean? He writes, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And he ends this way. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I know this is one of the typical um, Christmas passages, but here Paul, I mean, pardon me, here John really concisely in a very wonderful and beautiful way, 
he answers this question, what does the nativity mean? And we're going to break out a couple of different things that he's saying in this passage. And here's the first one, that Christmas means that salvation is by grace. And by grace alone. Over in verse 2, here's what he says. We'll look at it one more time. You might say the highlight word with me. He says, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, John is making a beautiful and powerful distinction here. And not just that Jesus has eternal life or he came to bring eternal life. He repeatedly says in this passage that Jesus is eternal life. Like he is the personification. He embodies eternal life. This is so powerful. Not just that he brought it, that he is it. In other words, Jesus is salvation. He is salvation. This is so significant. Not only the time in history when, G- when John first says this, but right down to this day because every other world religion leader that had ever lived, all of them point to salvation. They say, here's how you attain eternal life. Here's how you can achieve it. Here's how you can be moral enough, good enough, that you can finally make it your own. But Jesus was different. He was God in the flesh. And he came saying, I am, I am eternal life. I am the life you are looking for. I am it. And and therefore, to unite with him by faith, To know and love him is to have eternal life. Let me say that one more time. Based on what Jesus taught us, to unite with him by faith, to know and to love him is to have eternal life, period, full stop. Nothing else is required to attain eternal life. Nothing else is required. Nothing else is there for you to attain. You can't achieve in any other way except through him. Now, so powerful to begin to understand this because we live in a day that doesn't quite get this. One of the more popular and common uh, ways that people tend to think about their relationship to God, and I hear this, it comes out a lot in our culture and people say it in a lot of different ways, but it goes something like this. Well, Well, it doesn't really matter what you believe, what you believe about the incarnation, what you believe about God, what you believe about Jesus, uh, the atonement, the resurrection, the ascension. It doesn't really matter what you believe. You know, like, in other words, doctrine really doesn't matter. What really matters is if you live a good life. If you live a good life. Now, so nothing really matters except for living a good life. Well, here's the interesting thing is that, and the irony is, to say that nothing really matters in terms of what you believe uh, matters except for living a good life. That is doctrine, okay? That is the doctrine of salvation by works, by your personal works, rather than salvation by the grace of God. It assumes that you aren't really that bad, that you can be morally superior enough to be your own savior, that you can be good enough that you can be a good enough man or woman, boy or girl, that you can achieve God's good graces and that you can get into heaven on your own. Now, the interesting thing about that whole approach, because it assumes all kinds of doctrines about God, about humanity, about sinfulness, this whole approach, what's so interesting about it is that it negates, it goes against the very core of the Christmas message, the core of the Christmas message saying that that whole approach to God is false, it's wrong, it's incorrect. 
And, and this might be where you have sort of grown up with this kind of understanding of like, yes, we need to have faith, but we also need to really be good people. Like, it, we've got to earn it. We've got to be good enough. We've got to prove to God that we're worth saving. And, and maybe you grew up kind of like that, where you grew up thinking, no, it's kind of partly or mostly up to my own behavior. Or maybe you're saying, no, I... I don't believe the claims of Christianity. I don't believe in, in real, any religion. That I really, maybe you really believe that you have what you need within yourself to live as you should. But here's what I have noticed over and over, and read this over and over in people's confession of those two approaches to life are characterized, are mark life by insecurity and fear. And here's why. Because we constantly are wondering, are we good enough? How good is good enough? How good is good enough? I don't know when I am good enough. And what people constantly struggle with that don't understand this approach of salvation comes by grace is that they will find themselves at times slipping down into self-loathing where people, and maybe some of you have felt, you could hardly stand to be around yourself. You know, forget about trying to keep God's standards. You can't even keep your standards. The same standards that you hold other people to, that you're like, they ought to, not, ought to do this, ought not to do that. You can't even do it. You find yourself failing and you just hate yourself for it. Or maybe the pendulum swung in the other direction where you say, no, well, I am good. As a matter of fact, your struggle is with pride and arrogance because you, can, you have so much disdain for other people because they're not nearly as good as you are. You feel that way sometimes. But it is a miserable way to live. Whichever side of that coin that you are on. And for many people, it's not just one or the other. They vacillate back and forth between this insecurity and fear, self-loathing, and feeling disdain towards others because they're just not good enough or good as you or as good as you appear to be. And you know deep down you're not that good either. And it is a horrible way to live. And for some of you, you would say on this Christmas Eve, yes, it is, and I'm sick of it, and I don't want to live like this anymore. And I hope that you are there. I hope that you're feeling that way. And if that is you, I want to submit to you on this Christmas Eve 2020, there is another way. There's a better way. There's another way that Jesus came to, to offer to us. And here it is. It's you can believe the truth of Christmas that you are saved by grace, not by your works, through faith in Christ alone, period. Now what's beautiful about this faith that God came to bring us through his son is that it comes with a new identity in Christ. And this new identity will humble you out of that toxic pride that all of us are prone to. It also offers us love and affirmation that will rescue us from this constant insecurity and fear and am I good enough and am I comparing myself constantly to people that shows that we don't quite get God's grace is for you. And when you do fail and you do blow it and your tendency is to go to self-loathing, you need to understand that God has given you as a part of this new identity grace and forgiveness for you and for everyone else who offends, hurts, trespasses against you. It's beautiful. It's all the things our soul has longed for forever wrapped up in Jesus and he offers it to us like a Christmas gift. It's incredible, it's so powerful, it's so life-changing. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, the stories at Christmas 
We have to be so careful. They're not just stories. We don't just recite these stories so that hopefully it'll inspire you to want to be a better person. That is not it at all. That the incarnation, the atonement for sins, the death of Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, that the way they're communicated in the New Testament, the way they come to us, they come to us as eyewitness testimony, that they happened in time and space. They are historical facts. And this is the way John helps us to understand this. In the very first verse of the first chapter of his first epistle, John 1, 1, he says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have, let's say it together, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. In other words, we have investigated, we have examined, we've looked at the evidence that this is what we proclaim. This is the, the truth that we proclaim about Jesus. It comes from eyewitness testimony. Now, I love this piece of commentary I came across this week. A New Testament scholar by the name of Dr. Robert Yarbrough, and he said, every one of these verbs that John uses in this passage were done purposefully. They were on purpose because they correspond to a different form of witness that would have been required in the ancient first century jurisprudence. In other words, for testimony in a court of law, you would need to be able to show evidence that you saw, that you heard, that you felt, that you touched empirically. You have evidence. You have more than one person. You have multiple people over and over and over that experienced these things. In other words, Dr. Yarbrough is saying that John here is virtually swearing a deposition, saying, I will lay my life down that everything that we are writing about is true. I've checked it out. And it's not just, it's based on eyewitness testimony of hundreds and hundreds of people of which I am one, yes. But it's like John is trying to help us to see he actually was born like in this way. This is really, these miracles really did happen. And that he grew up and lived such an extraordinary life and taught things that nobody else had ever taught, ever. And it changed everything. And he promised over and over, like six different times, I will die and then I will be raised from the dead. He prophesied his own death and resurrection and then he pulled it off and was witnessed by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And John's saying, and we are among those. We are eyewitnesses. He did do all the things we are saying that he did. And in a sense, if we could wrap it all up, this is what he's saying. that If Christmas, Christmas isn't just a nice legend, and if it is, then we are without hope. But if Christmas is true, and John says it is absolutely true, then you can be saved by grace. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the best news that planet Earth has ever received. This is why the angels came saying, we bring tidings of glad, glad tidings, of great joy for all people, all the earth. Like, this is such incredible news, not just for the Jews, but for everybody, for everyone, that Jesus shows us that Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, is that salvation comes by grace, but it also shows us Christmas means that you can have fellowship with God. This is so beautiful. Back up in verse 3, 
John tells us this. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have, let's say it together, may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this word fellowship is an extraordinary word. It means a relationship of mutual sharing. It can be translated communion as well. What John is saying here, and this is so, you have to kind of put yourself in a Jewish mindset of the first century, which is it's just absolutely extraordinary because he's saying that now you can have communion with the God of the universe, you can have a close, mutual, sharing kind of relationship with God, the same kind that the disciples, the apostles had with Jesus who knew him personally. You can know God like that. That's what this, this is what it's offered to you. This is, this is the incredible, amazing message that is put before you. And it's mind-blowing. So it may not be as mind-blowing to us, but to a Jewish mind in that first century, they, they, they would have not known what to do with this. It was unbelievable because to them, they grew up hearing stories about some of their, their heroes like Moses. And one of the stories that they would have been acquainted with and probably thought about is over in Exodus 33 where Moses, verses 18 through 20, he goes before God and says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you in the raw pure, unadulterated beauty and power that is you. Please show me that. And God says, I can't do that. (laughs) I can't, no one can see my face and live, not in your fallen mortal condition. You can't, but I'm gonna put you in the cleft of this rock and I'm gonna pass by and you can see the very, just kind of like shimmering end of me, right? And and that was all he got. And it was just like his heart cry. And this is what makes so significant that John, again, a Jewish man, in his gospel now, John chapter one, verse 14, this is so significant that he would have included this right up front. Now, John is one of the gospel writers that doesn't really chronicle the birth of Jesus the way that Luke and Matthew do, but he gives us more of a doctrinal or theological perspective of what it meant that Jesus came. And this is so significant. Verse 14, he says, the word, the word meaning Jesus, the word, the logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his, let's say it together, we have seen his glory as a Jewish man This is incredible that he's saying this. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. John, you're telling me that God is letting you see something he wouldn't even let Moses see? This is what Jesus came to bring? This is who he is? Oh my gosh, another Jewish man, the Apostle Paul, later in one of his epistles to the church at Colossae, chapter two, verse nine, he says this, let's say the highlighted words together, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, are you kidding me? All the fullness of God, God with skin on him, that's who Jesus was and is, that's what he was this pure, unadulterated beauty and power and glory 
that Moses couldn't even see, God says, I'm going to communicate to you in a way that you can understand. I'm going to come to you in a way that is palatable, that you can get. It's like, think about it like this. You go out on a sunny day, and you, there's a solar eclipse going on, and you want to look at it. You remember the last one that we all went out, and you got to get those filtered glasses, right? And you look up at it, and you're like, wow. I can actually see it happening. It's beautiful, seeing all the intricacies and what's happening there. But we have to look through the filter. If you don't, what happens? It burns your eyes, right? It damages, it'll burn up your retina if you don't do it, if you don't do it right with through the filter. But Jesus is our filter. It was God being willing to say, I will go to an infinite degree. Christmas means that God went to an infinite lengths in order to make himself one that we can know personally. He became the filter through which we can begin to say, oh, God, God's like that. Oh, he loves people like that. And he would say things like that. And he would offer salvation even to people like that. Like people like me. Oh, my gosh. This is who Jesus is. This is why he came. What a gift. What a blessing. This is what the nativity, this is what the birth of Jesus, this is what Christmas is all about. That salvation is by grace and that you can have fellowship with God and that God went to infinite lengths to make himself one that we can know personally. He speaks our language. He comes in a palatable format that won't burn us up and won't scare us to death and won't create such a huge obstacle that we can't get there he did all of the work so that we could step through the door of faith and receive salvation his gift to us i love this quote from pastor writer theologian thomas watson from back in the 1600s long time ago brilliant man this is what he said about this moment in history christ was born of a virgin that we might be born of God. He took our flesh that he might give us his spirit. He lay in the manger that we might lie in paradise. What a gift. He switched places with us. He gave us his place in heaven along with him to be brothers and sisters with Jesus before the most high God. He gives us that opportunity and this Christmas, I want you to hear that God has come near. And he is not content just being someone that you know from afar, from a distance. He's not content being that in your life. He wants you to draw near to him. He crossed infinite lengths so that he could be available to you. Now, it's time for you to take a step towards him. And if you're a believer already tonight... And if you would just be brutally honest with yourself and think about it right now, what part does God play in my life right now? To what extent am I willing to live the life that God wants me to live? For many of us, we would have to say God is just a part of our life. But John made it clear that Jesus came to be your life. He is eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. I am your one and only mediator. I'm your one and only access point. I came to be your life. Would you take a step towards me? Would you be willing to live a life of full surrender to Jesus? And let the Christmas of 2020 be that point where 
you take this big, bold, scary, faith-filled step and see God move in ways like he never has before. And starting this Christmas and on into 2021, what a beautiful thing. It would be a great crescendo to such a difficult year for so many of us. Would you be willing to do that? That the secret of Christmas, your response to what he did on your behalf could become a gift that God gives your heart that will never be taken away from you. Beautiful. Here's the prayer I'm asking you to pray with me tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to make your grace available to me and to, my, to be my eternal life. I take a step closer to you this Christmas. You see, God came near to us. I'm encouraging you tonight, do whatever it takes to get near him this Christmas, 2020. Do whatever it takes to take a step towards him, to draw near to him, make more time for him, talk to him, pray to him, read his word, seek him, ask for his counsel, ask for his guidance, ask for his power, ask for, it is available. He wants to do that for you. He doesn't, he's not asking you to jump through hoops. He's not asking you to work for it or to earn it or somehow to achieve it. So many people approach God that way. But we don't get there that way. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.